Hola, Joshua Smizer de Leon here, founder and host of the Basel podcast. Thanks for listening to the show where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community from La Isla to the diaspora. If you want to help us share the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here on Paseo, Boricua, and Chicago and around the world, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. Subscribing helps more people find the show and will help you make sure you never miss an episode. Leaving a five-star rating and showing some love in the comments helps too. You can also give a donation by looking up the Paseo podcast on savechicagomedia.org. Okay, that's enough from me. Enjoy the show. De armas de fuego, de droga, de pali, de moli, de marihuana, de perico, de, de sexo, de cuidado, de sexo al garete, sexo al garete, sexo al garete, sexo al garete, sexo, sexo, sexo al garete, droga, de pali, de moli, de marihuana, de perico, 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 sexo al garete, sexo al garete, sexo, sexo, sexo al garete. Droga, de pali, de moli, de marihuana, de perico. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Paseo Podcast. What is up? It's been a, a good break, but it's really good to be back in action. I know that song at the top of the show was a little odd, but I couldn't help myself and I needed to share it. Quick backstory, I promise. I follow this Twitter account called Out of Context Puerto Rico, and it's great. It's filled with random photos and videos that are, you guessed it, out of context. So what you heard was a remix Twitter user at Christian Bob put together based on a nine second clip out of context Puerto Rico shared on their page. The original clip was nine seconds and true to the name of the account that shared it, I have no freaking idea what it's from, who the person is, or what the topic of conversation was. All I know is that I found it funny, so I wanted to share it with you all to start the show. Anyway, on a more important note, while I love doing this podcast, having a nice summer break was much needed. Being on break was a good reminder for me to prioritize work-life balance, y'all. I uh, cannot stress enough the importance of that. And speaking of work-life balance, that's a big reason why we're going to move our schedule from weekly episodes to bi-weekly episodes. This podcast project is a big time labor of love, and I want to make sure we're delivering quality episodes every time you listen. So going to bi-weekly will help us accomplish that. In today's episode, I invited the Basel podcast team to talk about a ton of Puerto Rico news that we either missed or wanted to talk about while we were on break. So we're going to talk about the Puerto Rican athletes that made headlines this past summer, including Olympic gold medalist Jasmine Camacho Quinn and probably the best pound for pound Puerto Rican boxer in history, Amanda Serrano, uh, Puerto Rico as a tax haven through the lens of Jake and Logan Paul moving there climate change in Puerto Rico, and Lin-Manuel Miranda and our responsibility as BIPOC folks to tell our stories. Let's jump into the interview. Hello, everybody. Bienvenido a todos. This is the Paseo Podcast. We're back in action uh, from our summer break. Hard to believe that we're going on year three at this point, but I can really think of no better way to kick off this season than by uh, getting our whole podcast team on the show to chat about some Puerto Rico news stories uh, that we would have liked to have talked about or that happened over the summer while we were on break. Joining me today from the Paseo Podcast team are Ambar Colon. She is a Puerto Rican writer and editor born and raised in Chicago, a graduate of DePaul University's journalism program. Her work has been featured in In These Times, the Austin Weekly News, Common Dreams, and the Chicago Sun-Times. She's the publicist here at the Paseo Podcast and also works as a bartender in her spare time. She's the mom to two adorable fur babies, a Maltipoo named Raven and a kitten named Gigi. If you want to follow her after this episode or while you're listening to this episode, uh, you can follow her on Twitter and Instagram. Her handle is at Medicine Ambi. Next up is Josue Ortiz. He is a Chicago native. He currently works as a marketing coordinator and does freelance photography and videography. He's also the person you can all thank for editing and posting our interviews on our Paseo podcast YouTube channel. So definitely uh, go check those out. Uh, when not working or picking up a gig, you can find him playing soccer, taking photos for fun, or going on a hike. You can follow him on Insta at Josue Angel. 
and uh, his YouTube channel is Josue of the Shy. And last but not least, Richie Requena is in the virtual building. Richie is a Mexican-American journalist from the Chicagoland area. He graduated from DePaul University in 2021 and has bylines in WBEZ, that's NPR's Chicago affiliate, and the Chicago Tribune. He is someone I lean on as our production assistant because honestly, if I had to edit all of the audio, I would probably go crazy. I'd have way more gray hairs than I already do. Richie is also pursuing his career in audio journalism and is working on a master's degree at DePaul while managing the university's bilingual magazine Pueblo at 14 East. You can follow Richie across all major social platforms. His handle is at Richie Rickena. Everybody that's a part of our team is definitely worth your time to follow. They're all doing really great work, as you can hear by each of these bios. I'm sure people listening know me, but high level view, Joshua Smizer de Leon, founder and host of this podcast, really wanted to start this to help spread Puerto Rican stories, archive our stories, not only in the diaspora, not only on La Isla, but around the world. Born and raised in Chicago. I also went to DePaul University. I'm a double demon, got my master's and bachelor's there. Super happy to, to be with you all today. Uh, this is the first time we have actually recorded a podcast as a team. Uh, so pretty excited about this episode. Um, like I said at the top, you know, there's a lot of news that happened um, just before we uh, took our break and happened during break. Uh, so I, I wanted to have first a discussion around uh, the Tokyo Olympics just wrapped up. Jasmine Gamacho Quinn, amazing athlete. This was only the second Olympic gold medal for Puerto Rico. Uh, and she won that Olympic gold medal in the 100 meter hurdle. Uh, and she also set a new Olympic record of 12.26 seconds in the semifinal for that competition. So again, this is uh, only the second Olympic gold medal for Puerto Rico, and that's following Monica Puig's uh, win in women's tennis in 2016. And it was Puerto Rico's first gold in track and field and its second medal in the sport. Uh, the, the, other, the other medal was a bronze in the men's 400 uh, meter hurdle, uh, and that was won by uh, Javier Colson in 2012. Um, so really big deal, um, especially for her as an athlete, um, she I had discovered that she was actually disqualified in the Rio Olympics in the semifinals. She just didn't make time. Um, so other people were, were faster than her. But she's the best hurdler in the world this year. Uh, really no equal. Um, and if you got to see that race, beast. I mean, she was just a machine um, the way she just really commanded that 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 hundred that hundred meter hurdle. Um, so when she breaks this this uh, record she wins this gold medal uh it's definitely a historic win, win uh especially uh when you think about her her identity she is a black puerto ricanya um so it's a really big deal challenging the way we look at puerto ricanness um so she was born in california and that's uh, puerto ricanness is kind of where i i'd like to get your thoughts on what I'd like to get your thoughts on, because you know, she was born in South Carolina. She wasn't born in Puerto Rico. Um, she actually decided to run for the Puerto Rico national team uh, to honor her heritage because her mother was born in Puerto Rico. Uh, and I think later in life, if I'm understanding from the, the news coverage around her win, uh, later in life, like in her teenage years, she actually traveled to La Isla for training and was finally able to meet her her grandmother, other members of uh, other members on her her mother's side. Um, but uh, I had seen a lot of chatter online of people saying, "Well, she's not really Puerto Rican. Um, she doesn't speak Spanish. Spanish. She wasn't uh, born and raised on the island. Um, you know, does she qualify as being Puerto Rican?" Um, which I thought is a, a bit of a silly take. Uh, you know, this is the first gold medal she's bringing to the island. And you want to take it in a direction where you're like, well, does it really count? She's not really Puerto Rican. Why are we claiming her? Like, it, it's kind of a messed up thing um, because it's not like she couldn't make the U.S. team. She won a gold medal. She could have made the U.S. team. But for Puerto Ricans competing at the Olympics, you know, Winter Olympics, Summer Olympics, you have two years, every two years where on, a, on an international stage, Puerto Rico is recognized as its own body, as its own governing body. 
as opposed to falling under the United States. So it's a huge deal. Um, and this is normally a source of pride. So to kind of see the negative chatter um, in response to a lot of the positive coverage she got, it was a little disheartening. So I don't know. I mean, did y'all see those stories? Like, how do you feel about people challenging someone's Boricua card? I definitely think, at least from a lot of the things that I've seen online, you know, criticizing her, it's less about, at least in Jasmine's case, it's less about the fact that she was born here. And I think more about the fact that she's black mm. and she's very visibly black. Um, and we know that Latini, Latinidad, being Latino, that's not a race. Um, it's just an ethnic group category. We can be many races. We all are. Um, and, you know, we already know that anti-blackness is a huge thing on the island, off the island. Um, so I think that that has everything to do with it um, in her case, unfortunately. Um, and it's just throwing in the fact that she's also American. Um, so I feel like it's it's just like this, this pigeonholing, trying to put her in, in a box of like what she is, you know, um, yeah, which it doesn't really make any sense because, as we've said, you know, Puerto Rico is also part of the United States. So, does that make the people that are born on the island not American as well? You know, it it it's so it's such a weird debate, in my opinion, mm -hmm. that that shouldn't have been happening in the first place. But again, I, I at least in my opinion, I think it, it all surrounds about around the fact that she's a black Latina, that she's a black Puerto Rican. I think that's absolutely right. I think that's a really good point. Um, did you see, I think with uh, follow-up question, and I think this is, um, uh, I think this is something we see regularly when there is that racial undertone, but it's not explicitly said. It's just, it's more covert. So like, I, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, like I would see stuff like, you know, son gringos, no, you know, ni, se, ni saben español, Algunos no ni han uh, viviendo en la isla. Uh, you know, I would see stuff like that. Did anybody, did you, did you see anything that was like people explicitly saying that since she was black, she wasn't Puerto Rican? Or was it more of like a, a, a racial undertone? Because I didn't hear these comments back when Puerto Rico won its first gold medal or when the Puerto Rican national team beat the uh, U.S. national team. Um, I think that was in Greece uh, in the early 2000s. So I didn't hear those. I didn't hear those conversations then. And there definitely weren't people that were Spanish speaking or um, born on the island that performed there. But I didn't see the level of um, I'll just say, I mean, the level of hate that was geared, um, you know, that was geared to, to Camacho Quinn. So I don't know. I mean, did you see people, anybody like overtly being racist or was it more like this covert thing? Like they're not saying the the quiet part out loud. I can't remember what year it was, but uh, Miss Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? What mm -hmm. year that was where she was actually from Florida and she's, you know, white Boricua, uh, other diaspora. So there was a lot of like, I remember a lot of similar conversation happening like that of, you know, not really being from Puerto Rico and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like, yeah, same same similarities as far as like, you know, being a gringa and like from the U.S. and stuff like that and not really Puerto Rican. Um, I could definitely say that like, this is all me search. Like I haven't dove into this anyway, but yeah, just scrolling to Twitter and everybody, you know, with their comments. I've seen a lot of like support in my own little bubble, but I know that's the algorithm just feeding me what I want to read. Um, I've seen a lot of support uh, for uh, Jasmine um, and a lot of like celebrating her, uh, but there have been those tricklings of like, yeah, like, is she really Puerto Rican because she's like from the US and stuff and, and all that, but it has been much more celebrating on my end. I think, what I sort of see overall is very important is like kind of the like individual opinions is like whatever, but what's the structural change happening here? And the structural thing is that Puerto Rico didn't have a gold medal before in this, uh, in this event. Now they do. That's a very historic thing that you can't take away. Um, and whatever anybody wants to say sort of like opinion wise or whatever, she made her decision and that's not a light decision. You're going to be on international television with billions of people looking at you. You're gonna have a, a flag, a crest on you, on your, um, you know, on your uniform. 
and your face is going to be there. Like that's, that's no small um, feat. So to say, you know, all these comments or whatever, like that's a big decision to make. And I think it's a really, it's really interesting and really uh, exciting and uh, makes me proud that she made the decision to wear the Puerto Rican flag um, in front of literally an audience of billions of people. Mm-hmm. So you can look at it the negative way, like all these uh, Twitter heads want to do, but I think it's, you know, without a doubt, it's something that on a structural level and on an individual level on her end and what she did is, uh, is, is really incredible. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. I mean, I think there, I've seen a lot more positivity than negativity. Um, but Ambar, to your point, like it's hard not to look at this criticism that she's received and not think it's because of the way she looks. Um, somehow, you know, I think people will look at it as her being a watered down Puerto Rican, which is so far from the truth. Um, and, you know, I think we need to celebrate, I need me to celebrate these accomplishments. Cause like you said, Josue, like she could have ran for the, she could have ran for the U S and she chose Puerto Rico. So we should be, we should be proud of that. So I think if you're, whether you're growing up in London or the diaspora, you know, Puerto Rico, being Puerto Rican is a part of you. It's a part of your culture. Um, I know I've been hurt when growing up, if I didn't speak Spanish fluently, someone would say, you know, uh, you know, oh, you don't speak Spanish. You're not Puerto Rican. I've heard other people share similar stories to me. And I don't know why we do that to each other. I think we need to celebrate who we are as people and not put like a checklist on what makes you, uh, you know, Puerto Rican or Mexican or what have you. Uh, I just don't think that's fair Um, because at the end of the day, you know, it's not like Jasmine was like, I want to leave Puerto Rico, FPR, you know, I want to like leave. I mean, she basically came full circle and embraced her, her roots. So I think that should be applauded. But any other thought? Oh yeah, go ahead. I wanted to add Go for uh, it. that Jasmine, she actually put her mother's name uh, first in her last name. Yeah. Uh, so her mom is from Puerto Rico, which I think was really cool. Very interesting. So that just shows, you know, how, Puerto Rican she is in the first place to, you know, and we all know how important mothers are in Puerto Rican culture. Most of us keep both of our last names to begin with. Um, And then also just so that we don't forget about this specific incident, Gigi Fernandez, she's a tennis player. Um, She won two Olympic gold medals. She posted on Twitter. um, It was in Spanish, but I'll translate it. Um, After uh, Camacho Quinn won her race, she was basically questioning, um, she, she asked, oh, and she's actually Puerto Rican. Does she actually speak Spanish? Was she raised in Puerto Rico? Very curious. Um, but right before that, uh, she, you know, gave a shout out to Naomi Osaka, who's also been the victim of a lot of, you know, racist mm-hmm. remarks and or undertones, I should say. Um, so it was very interesting to see how, you know, Puerto Ricans, we kind of pick and choose, um, when and who to attack mm-hmm. about their Puerto Ricanness, their Latinidad. Yeah. No, well put. Well put. I mean, hey, you know, maybe uh, maybe down the road we could get uh, Jasmine on the show. Um, Ambar, you know, make it happen. We need you. I would love to get her on the mic and, and hear some of her thoughts and how that experience went and, you know, dealing with the positivity and, you know, some of the negativity as well. Before we took our break, we actually had a really good guest on the show to talk about um, Jake Paul's uh, connection to Puerto Rico and living in Dorado and taking advantage of Puerto Rico's tax laws. Um, essentially, Puerto Rico being a tax haven for the rich. Um, so I think this, even talking about this athlete will uh, be a nice transition into the topic you're going to share with us, Richie. But um, I recently found out over the summer that Amanda Serrano, she's one in, she is an amazing boxer, probably one of the best Puerto Rican boxers uh, that uh, Puerto Rico has ever produced, pound for pound, uh, amazing fighter. Um, she, I think, has 30 knockouts. I can't remember how many wins she has, but she has 30 knockouts. If she gets like two or three more, she'll have the most knockouts in Puerto Rican boxing history. So, uh, pretty big deal. She's also won in, I want to say, jujitsu competitions. She's won in mixed martial uh, mixed martial arts competitions, um, and she's even a multi division champion in boxing. So, s- super athlete we're talking about here. 
Um, but looking at Jake Paul, the boxing cards he's put in, the fact that he's living in Puerto Rico, taking advantage of the tax laws, basically uh, being a tax evader, um, but also gentrifying the island. Um, he's not the only person that's been doing this. A lot of rich people have been doing this, um, definitely with this colonizer mindset. Um, but I was surprised to see Amanda Serrano agree to co-headline this upcoming Jake Paul boxing card that's going to take place on August 29th. Um, so I was just curious, like, you know, she's curious to get your thoughts on, you know, what's, do you think this is the right decision um, that Amanda made to say yes to co-headlining this boxing card? Or do you think it was a, a bad decision? Or are you somewhere in the middle? Um, because she's, when she's been interviewed about this, being participate, participating in this card, she's uh, talked very glowingly about Jake Paul wanting to become a better boxer, you know, really putting the work in. So she's had a lot of complimentary words to say about him. Hasn't really talked about the backdrop of gentrification and, and uh, tax evasion as it relates to, to Jake Paul and his brother living there. Um, so I, I found that quite interesting. Um, but what are your thoughts? I mean, do you think this is the right decision on her part? Wrong decision somewhere in the middle? Yeah, and, and unfortunately, we, we still have to talk about Logan Paul a little bit <laughs> longer. I, I, I've never met a Logan Paul fan or a Jake Paul fan in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, but no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Josue. You sound like uh, you've been keeping up, man, you know the, for the fan You know club. the difference between two of them, you know? So yeah. You got to know the you guys your enemies. Know I haven't said anything about either <laughs> yeah. this whole time because I hate them and I don't want to give them any fuel. Mm. So, no. Okay, so, so let's talk a little bit more like maybe why we don't like these people, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, Logan Paul uh, earlier this year moved over to Puerto Rico and, you know, that, that was unclear the reasons why, but one of the reasons that, you know, Logan Paul said, was that um, was about taxes in Puerto Rico. He said, you're motivated to do more and make more money because of the implications that come with it. And he's not the first person or he won't be the last person to go to Puerto Rico to take advantage of the tax system. That's very much different from the rest of the United States. Uh, right now talking about Act 60, which is sort of what makes up the tax code. And I'm gonna uh, source a little bit here from the Times. Under Act 20, export services companies that set up an office on the island can get a 4% corporate tax rate and a full tax exemption on all dividends if their annual revenue is over $3 million. They're required to hire at least one local Puerto Rican employee. And then the second law, Act 22, offers full exemption from all local taxes on passive income to individuals. Its beneficiaries are not allowed to have lived in Puerto Rico for the last 10 years and to have spent a number of days on the island to maintain their status. Mm. They also need to purchase residential property and donate at least 10,000 a year to local nonprofit. I know that's a lot of numbers, but just think about how much taxes you pay and versus, you know, if you make more than 3 million in Puerto Rico, you know, that that's kind of bananas, you know, I don't, we've all seen, you know, our paycheck stubs, we look at the gross pay and then we look at the net pay. It's like, what is crazy? And to know that they're being taxed even less, you know, a millionaire who will flee to Puerto Rico, you know, that, that's not very fair, right? When we know the context and the history of a lot of uh, bad things that have gone on in the island with, you know, with the earthquakes and hurricanes and, and it's just not fair, right? Not, not even flee, but like strategically, you know, moving to take advantage and, uh, you know, steal the, steal the resources. And mm -hmm. the moment they find a better deal elsewhere, they'll just be gone. They'll use it for what it is and then they're gone. They don't, they don't care. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really enjoyed our last episode before break because we really took the deep dive on Act 20, Act 22 and their absorption into Act 60. Um, but it's very upsetting uh, to me personally because uh, it just feels very um, predatory. Um, but this is legislation. This is policy the Puerto Rican gov government enacted. So it's kind of like 
there has to be change at the at the representative level and how people vote. Uh, I think we get too tied into territory as defining the political parties in Puerto Rico as opposed to what the policy is. And that w is what creates a space for bad policy like this to exist. You know, Richie, you mentioned as a part of Act 60, well, Act 20 was absorbed into that. Um, you said that uh, the corporate tax, that's for, cor that's for businesses, that the corporate mm -hmm. tax rate was 4%. So they're paying 4% on the money. I mean, that, that's a lot of, you're talking over three mil, that's a lot of money. However, you compare that to your point, the US, the corporate tax rate here is 21%. 21%. Qu what was that? Uh, five times, more than five times the amount. Uh, so they're paying five times less the amount if they move to Puerto Rico. Uh, and then for individuals, you mentioned Act 22, which also was absorbed into Act 60. 0% in capital gains tax for individuals. You know what that number is here in the US? Trivia, trivia, trivia. Anybody know what that number is? No. 37%. My gosh, I love numbers wow. way too much. But 37%, that's wild. I wish I could put, pay 0% in capital gains tax if I had capital. Um, and then uh, uh, what I also found interesting was that uh, the PR Department of uh, Economic Development and Commerce it was like, we created all these jobs and we got 100 and, over 140 million in consumer goods and services in Puerto Rico. But of course, none of the info used in that study was actually accessible to the public. So journalists like yourself, Richie and Ambar, like you didn't, ha you didn't have access to those numbers to really figure out what the legit numbers are and what the patterns are and what the story really is and how this affects the the general longevity of the island. Um, so it's upsetting. And I think what makes me laugh a little bit, like cry laugh, is the fact that one of these requirements is that if you have the business in Puerto Rico, you have to at least hire one Puerto Rican. What the hell is that about? Like one Puerto Rican and you just get a, get a token? Like if I can hire somebody, if I have a tech company, and I was like, well, our custodial staff member is a Puerto Rican and you're paying them a, a, a over $7 minimum wage, but you can have someone fly in from San, from San Francisco, say they're living in Puerto Rico and pay them a six figure salary. That's just, I feel like that's laughable. That's a ridiculous requirement. I would have said a majority of your employees should be Puerto Rican. It's not like Puerto Rico is a third world, third world country. Like we got smart ass people in Puerto Rico, intelligent people. I mean, you look at the Arecibo, I'm getting, I'm going to get on a tangent here, so I'm going to stop myself, but there's plenty of example because we're running out of time, but there's plenty of examples that you could point to of talent uh, and knowledge in Puerto Rico. And to say only one person qualifies you to take advantage of this tax, this tax law, I think is ridiculous. So mm -hmm. it's one of the laws I hate the most in the island. Yeah, and, and the reason why all of this matters is, is just because it, it exasper exasperates uh, just the problems between the rich and, and the poor on the island. And it just feels weird, you know, to know also that the rich, they're not even from there, you know, it's not wealth that's being built up mm -hmm. or that's uh, going to be helping people that have lived there before, you know? Yeah, well, I think I think that one that one tax law, the Act 22, that, that's a part of Act 60 now, I think it was like, like even for individuals as Puerto Ricans, like unless you've lived outside of Puerto Rico uh, in the six years uh, of the law being created, like you can't, you, you wouldn't be able to take advantage of this. So there's people that actually live in Puerto Rico that can't take advantage of a lower capital gains tax, of a 0% capital gains tax. So it, you're not even benefiting. It's just benefiting pretty much anybody outside of the island. So it's kind of messed up. It's very messed up. You know, what could an American or someone else that's a foreigner to the island uh, due to, you know, I guess not create so much gentrification or to, I guess, level out the playing field when it comes to, I guess, not just giving jobs, but also just Stay out. <laughs> Stay out. <laughs> just no, no solution. Stay well, out. <laughs> don't, don't come. Uh, okay. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I obviously that's, that's an emotional <laughs> reaction, but uh, uh, you know, there's um, so I just pull up right here 142,000 people, uh, Boricuas left La Isla after Hurricane Maria. 
Um, and it's estimated that uh, in 2020 to 2022, about another 300,000 will be leaving. And, you know, people who, who then come into La Ida, like what, what are they aligning themselves with? What are their intentions, their motives? Because if it's to build out a chain of restaurants, turn whatever town they move into to a little suburb-like thing from wherever they were, um, create another Silicon Valley or something. Like, it's just, it's, there. there's so much, there's so much history um, on La Ida. There's so much um, culture that is just, it's you're cleansing you're you're it's it's a it's it's a a cleansing of all that because you're bringing in you know um what you know as a culture and um if there's if there's a true collaboration and i want to sort of optimistically say it is possible though i'm very doubtful then that's one thing but really what it what it's what it's feeling like and i think what we could argue probably all argue is that it's zero regard for what Puerto Rico is. And you give that 10, 20, 30, 50 years, and it's just like, what does the island look like? Um, I don't want it to look like <laughs> mini USA. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I think that th there is, there are movements happening on La Ila against this. There are forces, forces pushing against it. So that's, definitely something that we should know it's not all doom and gloom there are people putting up a fight and we should be encouraged by that and we should feel all feel empowered by that and so i think definitely like it's not the it's not the end of the world if you want to move to puerto rico but what are you moving to puerto rico for you know um i highly doubt jake paul or logan paul are moving there <laughs> with positive intentions for like that if somebody's moving there because they do see a good opportunity and they have a great idea for a business whatever and they you know, I, I think policy is better than personal preference. So if there was policy, like Joshua just mentioned, of getting a majority of Puerto Ricans to actually be hired by a company, that's very, very, very different because then you could, uh, you know, you help build and sustain uh, local economies. People don't have to end up coming to the U.S. Um, for job opportunities. They could stay there um, and you build and you develop on La Ida. Um, versus one Puerto Rican. Well, what happens to the 1,000 that need a job in an area, but you've just simply brought over from Silicon Valley, from the US, whoever, wherever, you know, 1,000 of, 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 of whoever you like for whatever reason. Um, and there is a lot of talent, talent, like Joshua mentioned, on the island. There's, there's, there's tons of talent there, you know, world-class uh, professors, you know, researchers, et cetera. And um, that's not going to be, no attention will be um, paid to that, um, I feel, from, you know, any of these uh, richer folks that are moving to the island. That's my soapbox moment. <laughs> I think uh, a cap or like, like an income cap would do wonders. Um, not just on the island, but I think in the United States in general. Um, and also just, I don't know, they're rich people. We should take their money, right? Um, I think it's, it's not a bad idea to suggest that we should tax rich people um, and use that money, use that money to, to build infrastructure and to, you know, invest in communities and things like that. Because uh, if, you know, I think the world that we live in right now, there's 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 just this huge wealth divide, um, and the only way that we're gonna really solve that is by just taking their money. So, if you're a millionaire listening to this, please give us your money. <laughs> well yeah, said. I agree. Part two of that question, I wanted to be, you know. Could, uh, can a Puerto Rican American also be a gentrifier on the island? You know, what can they do to make a fair economic impact without gentrifying a place they love? I think that's some, I think that's a question that a lot of people struggle with, even here in Chicago. I mean, I think in a lot of cities, um, I, I, and I think it gets a little complicated. You know, I, I think you, 
on one end, yeah, you would be contributing to it because if you're coming into a space with a higher income and at a higher income bracket, uh, what normally <laughs> happens is, you know, you kind of end up pricing people out that can't afford it. So you can almost inadvertently by trying to reconnect with your roots and reestablish your roots and reclaim uh, your, your, you know, Puerto Rican land from uh, from maybe land that's not owned by a Puerto Rican or maybe there's like just open land that you want to say, hey, I want to set down roots here. I'm tired of being here in the States. I want to go back to the motherland. Um, you know, you could be contributing to that because realistically, if you have the if you have the ability to go uh, to Puerto Rico from the States, you probably have some form of capital that gives you that ability, um, some sort of privilege that gives you that ability. Um, not saying in every case, but in most cases, I would I would argue that is the case. Um, but yeah, I think you you can contribute to gentrification. The only solution, and I don't know if this is really a, a I don't know if this is really the best solution, but it's one is being actively engaged in local politics to organize people to actually vote for people that will put in policy that will prevent people from being displaced that will prevent people from being stuck in a place where they don't have access to food, um, that puts in policy that ultimately creates communities where you have mixed incomes, um, you have um, you know, afford things like affordable housing in those spaces. But I think ultimately that comes down to policy decisions. And if you're just accepting the status quo instead of actively trying to be present and ingrain yourself in what the reality of the community that you are moving to is and trying to actively organize to make life better for yourself for you, for yourself and those around you um, if you're not if you're not doing that and you're just kind of accepting the status quo I think yeah you're contributing to it but you can't actively combat gentrification even if you are moving into a new community hey there we want to take a moment to thank our partners, the Puerto Rican Cultural Center of Chicago and the Chicago Independent Media Alliance for their support. This show would not be possible without them. And shout out to our amazing podcast team. Learn more about them and the show by visiting our website, paseomedia.org. Enjoy the rest of the show. Josue, you had a story you wanted uh, to bring up involving Lin-Manuel Miranda and the responsibility of storytelling, so especially specifically from the diaspora. So I want to kick it over to you. What did you want to share? Yeah. So um, Lin-Manuel Miranda is a very um, high achieving artist. We can, you know, we can see that. Um, and I think that sort of um, as, as old as time itself, you know, crit critiquing art is just as old as art itself. Um, and some of the uh, criticisms, though, I think that have come Lin-Manuel Miranda's way in, in uh, recent time has gone beyond the art. Um, though that's, you know, still uh, an issue in its own way, but um, a lot of stuff like the um, things he advocates for, uh, taking up the space uh, that he does and uh, talking about Puerto Rico and issues um, on the island. And so really, uh, I want to take this moment to just kind of talk about uh, using him as a focus point, but also looking at um, our responsibilities as storytellers in general, because this could apply across the board, but obviously here on the Paseo podcast, focusing on Puerto Rican stories, you know, us as uh, being in the diaspora, uh, Richie, our honorary Boricua, <laughs> um, you know, uh, what is our responsibility uh, as storytellers? Um, you know, very, it, it's it's said that like, when you see a movie, when you see a play, etc., everything is very well intentioned and, and constructed with a meaning. Um, and when you do find a mistake, it's a movie mistake, and you usually point it out, like there's a Starbucks cup in Star Wars. Um, but for the most part, why is stuff framed a certain way? So we could look at something like Hamilton and think, why were these phrases used? Why were some things left out about Alexander Hamilton? Why was his uh, quick summary and bio mentioned with these bullet points, but left out the bullet points of like, um, you know, the, the darker sides of, uh, of, of what he was involved with? Um, and then same thing with uh, In the Heights. Um, very catchy songs sure uh but what about the neighborhood who's represented in the neighborhood who's shown 
um, as main characters, who's in the background as characters. That's all very, you know, heavily uh, done with intention. And so um, definitely wants to just get general thoughts about how I think we're all storytellers in our own ways. Obviously, you know, Josh with the podcast, uh, Ricky Ambar with your amazing, like, writing journalistic abilities, like, we all do this in our own ways. And so um, I think it's important probably for our audience listening to hear how we sort of like frame this and think about it in our, in our own means. And then um, definitely how we approach our work with uh, trying to be as, uh, I guess, like fair um, as, as possible as we possibly could be um, and leaving as much space. Um, and then like sort of respectively, like not in a bad way, but just staying in your lane right? There's some stuff that's outside of our lanes and it's okay to admit that. Um, you asked me about something in left lane, but I'm in right lane. Like, oh, I'm going to stay in this lane. Like, I don't know. I'm sorry. Um, so just general ideas. Um, definitely I have like some thoughts of my own of how I approach that. Uh, but definitely want to hear from everybody else as well. I'd say for, for myself, it, it, for me, it's important to do a lot of listening before I start talking. You know, especially a lot of these uh, Puerto Rican stories, you know, I can't just like read one story and be like, okay, I can summarize it. Like, no, I feel like I need to listen way more and listen to a lot of people, you know. I think that's why sometimes people get backlash, you know, they'll do research for a couple months and they're like, fine, yes, I'm a pro now. I feel like as, as storytellers too, um, I mean, journalism is a little bit different, but in general, you you kind of have this tendency to want to like glamorize details sometimes um and i think that's unfortunately what you know miranda has fallen victim to a lot of the times with his work um because you know there's nothing pretty or like musical about like imperialism or like colonization but yeah we have mm -hmm. like a whole musical about it you know where it's like reimagined um so i think it's just important to like take a step back and like kind of think about like, like, am I idealizing this a little bit too much? Or like, how can I, you know, make this digestible, but not too intense at the same time, you know? Definitely. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think we need to, I think as storytellers, you have a responsibility to have uh, proper repre representation that reflects uh, the time period or the community we're trying to represent. I think Hamilton's an outlier because I think that the the not like countering Ambada's point, but more so the main characters in history were all white, but they were played by people of color. I think sends a message that this is a country of immigrants and this isn't just something that's for white people. So like on one end, that I I, I respect that. I you know I, and I. I I find beauty in that. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we Hamilton just kind of glosses over a lot of the uglier side of things. But I find the most beautiful conversations and storytelling to be when you approach a topic authentically and transparently. And if you don't do that, then you're leaving the door open for criticism. And I think you leave the door open for people to not believe the story or give them an excuse to kind of claim the um, to attack the accuracy of a story that's being told. So you have to be authentic in these conversations. Um, something like in the Heights, you know, yeah, I remember, remember Rita, Rita Moreno talking about, uh, I think she was on the Colbert show and she was like, can you just stop? Like, can we just like, let the show the good let the movie be out for a little bit before we criticize it and she ended up having to walk back those comments she said a few other problematic things um but i, I think you open the door for a very uh complicated and frustrating discourse um because i, I you know i think when you have something in lin-manuel miranda's case within the heights this is lynn freaking manuel miranda we're talking about like any studio i mean this is his movie it's he wrote the musical, too. So it's like he owns the intellectual property. Um, so you're talking about Dominican neighborhood. I mean, Puerto Ricans, we have all shapes, colors, you know, and I would argue that's the same thing in the DR. But you can't deny that there is a strong African presence in the in the history of the Dominican Republic. So when I go whenever I've gone to the DR, I don't feel like I saw people represented that I've seen that were Dominican, even Dominicans in my own life that I grew up with here in Chicago. I didn't really see that reflected in that movie. So 
and that's that's where I get into a, a little bit of a, a frustrated space because it's like, yo, I mean, not all skin folk are kin folk is the the line I, I I really like because it's like, I mean, you got all this power, you got all this notoriety, you have the leverage, and yet this is how you chose to cast this film. Like just because you, like, okay, you made it now. So now that you made it, you're making decisions just like the people that were a few years ago keeping you out of the room where it happens. And you're doing the same thing. Um, whether it was subconscious, overt, um, or just done by accident. You know, I, I think beyond the Mel Miranda, we just as storytellers have a responsibility to approach these conversations honestly and authentically um, as we can. And someone like Lin-Manuel Miranda has the resources and the connections to really approach his storytelling as authentically as possible. And he he made a misstep. And no one's perfect. I mean, as storytellers, we will make mistakes. We may not have all the facts. We may uh, talk about a subject that we need to do a bit more research on. But we have to acknowledge that we're not perfect and that we will do better. And I think Lin, Lin tried to do that. But I think from the onset, that has to be the utmost priority whenever we're trying to tell a story. Definitely, definitely. And I think you brought up a good point um, that I kind of want to segue uh, into, which is, um, you know, definitely doing better. Um, but I think that like uh, one, of the, one, of, one of the biggest uh, sort of critiques I've heard is this idea of, yeah, sort of forgetting exactly how you know, you were uh, approached or um, looked at at the beginning, kept out of a room, um, and now just doing that on the same, you know, now that you're on the other side, you're doing that sort of back. And, and very being, like, really being cognizant of uh, and mindful of trying to do better. Mm -hmm. um, I think that uh, I also think about, like, who's the audience that uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda actually attracts? Uh, appraisal from um, this is you know this isn't a scientific study but in my me search in my world in my realm I don't really see a lot of Boricuas talking about Lin-Manuel Miranda I see a lot of white liberals talking about him and loving him like just so much um, and that's it's just a situation I've seen in my life um, and I just find that interesting like I'm not in Humble Park talking about him <laughs> i'm not uh you know i'm not hearing conversations about him in my family it's uh friends of mine from nepal <laughs> um mm. uh co-workers uh you know and it's just it's it's a really interesting dynamic i, I kind of want to push that off to anybody else like who do you see actually talking about lin-manuel uh, in your life it's funny that you bring that up because i remember when hamilton was on broadway several years ago, um, somebody at DePaul, I won't name any names, was like, hey, you're Puerto Rican. You must love this. You must know who this guy is. And I remember just looking at them like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, so <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it's all good. All guests are welcome. <laughs> My dogs appeared on the show a couple times too, so. <laughs> to your point, I think you're absolutely right. You know, in our Puerto Rican circles, he's not like a topic of conversation at all. And if he is, it's like very brief. We don't really have a lot to say about him. If we do, it's not always positive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I also think that you're definitely right. Like, like, who is he making these movies for? I think a lot of the times um, people in like, I guess, minority communities like make it big. Um, and we, we strive to like make it to like the Oscars or get the Emmys and things like that, um, which, you know, traditionally the Academy is all white. They're all old white men. Um, and is that really who these movies are for? You know, who these mm -hmm. who these pieces of art are for? Um, so I think that's a great you know, question to pose. I'll keep my response brief. Uh, it's a mixed bag for me. I mean, we've had people on from the show like we did an episode about um uh, Boricua, she was celebrating her birthday in quarantine right when we went like f around the time we first went to shelter in place. She works for the Miracle Center. Uh, they've had Lynn and his dad at the at the um, at, at their uh, theater. 
Uh, they've been big supporters of them. So they, they, I, I've heard it in those circles, uh, very m more so in the, the art circles in the Puerto Rican community. I've heard Lin-Manuel and his father come up quite a bit, even at the National Puerto Rican uh, Museum we have here in Humble Park. Um, but then I also I also hear about Lin and his dad on the flip side. Like, yeah, a lot of friends, I got a lot of Boricua friends on Twitter that go in on him and his dad for being in support of Promesa. So less about their accomplishments in the arts world, but more about their uh, advocacy for policy that was very detrimental for La Isla. Um, so the fact that they're both such uh, prominent supporters of that failed Promesa uh, policy um, for the Fiscal Control Board, uh, but also the fact that uh, they were, it was demanded by many in the Puerto Rican community that they apologize. Uh, and, uh, they, while they did apologize, they did not walk back their support for Promesa. So apologize for supporting it, but didn't say that they did not pr support it anymore. Uh, so very interesting, um, you know, thing to, to notice in, in their response to a lot of that criticism. Um, so I would say, uh, definitely agree. White liberals love Le Manuel. Um, they're probably the reason that they'll be waving Puerto Rican flags. Um, <laughs> but uh, at the same time, uh, the it's just more of a mixed bag in my world, I would say. Yeah. Okay, Ambar, you had a, a very good one. This is like this one I've been waiting for throughout our conversation because this affects more than Puerto Rico, but Puerto Rico especially uh, can get its ass kicked by climate crisis. So I uh, wanted uh, to get your thoughts and, you know, give us a high level view. What new story were, was on your mind? Sure. Um, so earlier we were talking a little bit about how gentrification is pushing a lot of Puerto Ricans off the island. Uh, climate crisis crises is also probably the, the next biggest, if not the biggest thing that's pushing Puerto Ricans off. Mm -hmm. um, so research has been suggesting um, and this is from the Stormwater Wire or Stormwater Publication of the Water Environmental Federation or the WEF. Um, so research from them has been suggesting that Puerto Rico is particularly vulnerable to climate change. Um, in fact, it's one of the world's uh, locations that is most vulnerable to climate change. Um, and experts believe that the uptick in tropical storms will eventually lead to a large catastrophe of storms. Um, which we've already seen, of course, um, that will greatly affect the Northern Caribbean in the next several years. Um, I think the biggest thing that we we all kind of think of, and we've talked about it earlier in this episode, is Hurricane Maria, which was mm -hmm. the Category 4 storm that hit September of 2017, absolutely devastated the island, over $90 billion in damages, um, which still greatly affects the island today. You know, the power grid was basically wiped out to this day. Um, there's power, power outages basically on the daily. Um, it's a bit of a rough situation to go to Puerto Rico. It's not, you know, the island of dreams, the paradise that, you know, Logan and Jake Paul claim it to be. Um, but of course they live in a much different reality, so. Um, and those hurricanes will just get worse, right? Too with climate oh, change, yeah. like you yeah. can see. What, didn't we have like one of the first times there was like two major storms? That wasn't. We could have been Irma and Maria, I thought, but there were yeah. just two big storms back to back um, that were like high category storms. So we could live in a world where it's like every other week or every other other day you're seeing a high category storm hitting the island and just the yeah. devastation Definitely that could cause. Two, two of the worst hurricanes to ever hit the Caribbean. Yeah. Uh, really two of the worst in the world's history. Mm -hmm. um, it can be compared with, you know, Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Sandy, um, which were significantly worse, but also, you know, still comparable. Thousands of lives were lost. I think it was, uh, I'm going to have to fact check myself on this, uh, but a, a university had did a study that where they estimated 4,000, at least 4,000 people were killed um, either directly or indirectly as a result of that hurricane. Um, you know, we saw people on like hooked up to machines, mobile hospitals, all kinds of just a, a very dire situation. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, so there's this ecologist um, at the University of Texas in Austin. His name is Carlos Ramos Charon. Um, he's been studying the, I'm, the, the topography and like the, the climate of Puerto Rico since Hurricane Maria. 
Um, and he says that we need to stop talking about climate change um, in the future tense because we're already experiencing it, especially in Puerto Rico. Um, you know, the island, again, severely under-equipped to handle a storm like Maria. The infrastructure was bad to begin with. The storm caused over $90 billion in damages. And, you know, there's Puerto Ricans that are still waiting to get relief um, from that, you know. You fly into Puerto Rico and you, you know, you go over La Perra specifically and like San, the San Juan area um, and you still see homes that are tarped up. You go and you see buildings that are just completely demolished. Um, mm -hmm. So just, just a ridiculous situation again with little to no help from the government. We saw Donald Trump throwing paper towels at people instead of giving actual help. Um, Puerto Rican government is still owed money from the Trump administration. Um, little by little, we're getting, you know, payments, but it's it's not enough. Um, uh, that same ecologist, Ramos Sharon, he stated in this in an article, uh, which is I have linked here. Um, in some parts of the island, Hurricane Maria caused flooding that exceeded a 500-year event, um, and events with these 100. And 500-year metrics just cannot be that common. Um, and if this is not what climate change is supposed to be, then I don't know what it is. Mm. Um, and so this summer and last summer, um, the island has been experiencing earthquake after earthquake after earthquake. Uh, the last earthquake was about a week ago from the date that we're recording. Um, so it happened nine miles outside of Juanica, which is on the southwest coast of Puerto Rico on the 14th. It was a 4.1 on the Richter scale. Um, for context, uh, there was a earthquake last year on the early morning hours of what we know as El Dia de los Tres Reyes or Three Kings Day in English. Um, that one was a 5.8 on the Richter and the very, very next day, uh, it was a 6.4. Another very devastating uh, event to happen to the island. Um, and keep in mind that the, the island had already been struggling, you know, hit by hurricanes years prior. Um, now they're dealing with an earthquake or earthquakes. There's a big housing crisis. And then in the middle of all that, just a couple months later, we get hit by a global pandemic. Hmm. Um, so you can see just how, you know, again, how dire the situation is. And this specifically calls even more Puerto Ricans to move out of the island and into the, the mainland United States not just here in Chicago, but specifically in, in Central Florida and Orlando, Kissimmee. There's thousands of Puerto Ricans there now. Um, and we know that uh, these these people that are fleeing from these types of natural disasters are considered climate refugees. Um, there's a think tank from Australia that has predicted that at least 1.2 billion people could be displaced by such climate-related events by 2050. One of the questions I wanted to ask you guys is, is how has your family, if at all, been impacted by climate change in Puerto Rico? How have you been impacted by climate change? We live in Chicago. I know we've been experiencing heat waves um, and just, you know, ridiculous temperatures. I, I think this winter is going to be very brutal for us. Um, but of course, because this is Paseo podcast, I have questions about, you know, your families in Puerto Rico and what you've seen when you've been down there recently. I mean, definitely like the hurricanes, you know, is a big one. Like um, my abuela who still has her house over there uh, just because of the, uh, she has a house over in Arecibo, um, had to move to Chicago because uh, it's not, while her house is okay, thank God, um, it's, the, it's the infrastructure around her that has collapsed. And so roads and bridges and stuff aren't available um, to, to travel, to go elsewhere, to go into town to get stuff. Um, so she's right now uh, in Chicago. Um, so just, you know, just stuff like that. Um, and that's, I would say that's probably the similar stories I've heard kind of from friends of mine and in my network and stuff. Uh, same here. I mean, uh, last time I was in Puerto Rico, I could see on the plane, you know, all the blue tarps, 
can still see the effects of Hurricane Maria and Hurricane Irma on the island. I was very fortunate that my abuela uh, was actually in town for my wedding um, the around the time Hurricane Maria hit the island. So uh, dodged a bullet there. But she lives in San Lorenzo and where she lives, it wasn't hit as devastatingly as other parts of the island. Um, so she, she's definitely lucky. Um, definitely some damage um, to the property she has there. Um, she's had, uh, she was there throughout the whole pandemic and the power outages and the earthquakes. Um, thankfully, I think just where she's located, it didn't impact her as much. Um, so my family was more inland than anything. So pretty much dodged a, a few bullets, um, but still were impacted. But there's people on the island and other families that I'm sure I know were impacted more more significantly than than mine was. Um, and that's me talking about like my immediate family. Like I, I couldn't tell you how my third cousin on my second cousin Diaz side uh, is doing. Um, but you can like I said, whenever you go, you can still see the effects of the earthquakes and the hurricanes um, and the power, the, the, the weak power system. Um, you can see that in very glaring ways and very small ways. Um, so it, it, it's frustrating to see at this point, knowing that we're consistently getting earthquakes, knowing that Maria and Irma happened years ago, uh, that we're still, the island still isn't at a point where, um, you know, they're helping people to get back on their feet and there's still people that are just displaced, um, or are living in, in really, crappy conditions because no one's offered assistance and they can't afford to fix something as simple as a leaky roof. So to see that not done, it's like, man, as climate change continues to get worse, if we can't handle fixing people's roofs years after a devastating hurricane, devastating hurricanes, what it, that does not spell well for the future when stuff really starts to go down at an even, um, scarier level when it comes to the changes to our, to our environment, to our climate. Right. And you bring up a good point about, um, you know, trying to shift to renewable energy. Um, in 2019, the former governor kicked, kicked his, his booty out, uh, Ricardo Rosello, he signed into law a new climate change initiative that calls for the island to reduce its carbon emissions 50% in the next five years. Uh, so by 2023 at that point, and transition to 100% renewable energy by 2050. Puerto Rico is nowhere near that five-year mark, of course. Um, and also without any relief funds or any investment um, from the rich millionaires that are and billionaires that are moving onto the island, we can't make that happen. Um, you know, the, the deadline is looming. It's 2021, uh, 29 years doesn't seem or it seems like it's far away, but it's really not that far away. Um, and I know, you know, you see this on like Twitter and maybe on YouTube and, you know, other discussion podcasts and things like that. Am I going to be able to meet my own grandchildren? You know, um, am I going to be able to take my children to Puerto Rico one day? And are they going to experience the same Puerto Rico that I've experienced and my parents have experienced? Um, so it's all very, very interesting stuff. A lot of companies, again, BP in particular, they, they want to switch over to all renewable energy as well. Um, but we're just not anywhere near that, you know, like many experts have still been saying, like, what if it's too late? Like we're reaching that point where if we don't act now, if we don't invest in this renew renewable energy now and cut the fossil fuels, um, invest in like a, you know, better public transportation and stuff like that. What if it's too late? Yeah, I think that's a very real concern. I 100% agree. It's scary. Yeah. Uh, one thing, kind of a, uh, I guess, a, a more lighthearted thing with this topic that I noticed. I went to Puerto Rico like the, the winter after. Uh, Hurricane Maria happened, and I encountered a woman coincidentally named Maria, um, who she was making alcapurrias, and I was with my dad, and he was like, hey, let's stop and talk to her, and I was like, okay, <laughs> um, 
and she told us about how she so she lives in a barrio in Dorado, which is where my dad grew up. Um, and he or she during the hurricane, she told me that she would feed everybody in her community. Um, so when FEMA didn't show up with you know food supplies and stuff like that, she was out in her garden getting food and making food for the community. Like they they would just make big pots of food. Um, and just hand it out. So I think mm. that was common. I already know it was common because I spoke to another woman in a different part of Puerto Rico um, that, that also had like her home farm um, and was giving out food in a similar manner. So I just think that speaks to the resilience of our people. You know, like we're going to make it no matter what. We're going to feed each other. We're going to look out for each other. Even if the, the United States government decides not to, that we're always going to do that for each other. La Brega, the struggle. We're used to being self-determining at this point. So I was, I love that you brought that up, Ambar. I remember seeing a video on social media and news reports of people really banding together to get access to clean water, to feed each other. I mean, offer support in any way they can. And I was just, I felt like it was a beautiful human moment, um, especially in a moment where you're surrounded by devastation, disaster, um, and you can easily kind of slink back into a corner and just be very depressed so to see people respond in a way where it was no i'm going to help my fellow human beings um and you could have had people easily hoarding stuff for themselves out of fear um so to see people so generous with their time talent and treasure i mean that was a beautiful thing to say i appreciate you bringing that up okay ambar richie josue uh, you are a part of this machine that we call the, the uh, this labor of love that we call the Paseo Podcast. You help keep things running. Um, you help me from going crazy doing this by myself. So very grateful for you all for making the time today, um, but also grateful for your work. Um, so I, I appreciate you all being on the episode today and giving our audience a chance to meet you all and how badass you all are. So thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks Thank for having us. Thanks. All right, y'all. Have a good rest of the day. See you, everyone. That's our show for today, familia. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did or didn't, let us know. Podcast at gmail.com or at Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Before I sign off, I wanted to also shout out Jackie Martinez or uh, at Jacks in the Box on Twitter. For this tweet that she wrote about the show, uh, she wrote, Perfect pairing. Routine evening walks through Humble Park while catching up on Basil podcast episodes. Oh, makes our heart melt. Thanks for the shout out, Jessica. And uh, thanks for taking us on walks with you. We appreciate you listening. To all of you listening, if you want to shout out the podcast, add us you know, on Twitter, uh, tag us in a photo, what have you. Uh, go for it. Uh, we might end up uh, shouting you out on the show. So it's highly encouraged. On our next episode, we welcome the Puerto Rican owner of Borink and Cakes. The small business started out in a mall cart and now has two locations in Chicago. So we're going to talk about their experience running a Latina-owned small business, Puerto Rican desserts, and what it took to get their own shop. Don't forget you can support the show by following us on social media, including our YouTube channel, and by subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. Subscribing especially helps more people find the show. Leaving a five-star rating and showing some love in the comments helps too. Until then, as always, if you want to pitch a story idea, nominate yourself or someone else for an interview, or share a new story you'd like us to discuss in the show, visit our website, baselmedia.org, to do just that. See you in two weeks. Cuídate.